Hey y'all. This is Talkin' Trash with Liv and Lizzie. The podcast where two friends show each other our silliest and most treasured movies. Each week we'll watch a beloved movie. No matter how corny, childish, or contrived. Sometimes a masterpiece with minor flaws. Other times a magnificent mess. Because one man's trash is Liv and Lizzie's treasure. friends hello hello if uh if our audio sounds a little different this week that is because we are at my place my echoey place of residence it is quite echoey instead of your lovely home right but it is still a lovely place of residence thank you i really like your your apartment it's cute thank you i am freezing cold it is so cold this morning it's snowing here yes which never happens which is weird um not enough to like stick or anything, but enough that the entire state is freaking out. Yep. Um, because that's what we do. Yep. So that's fun. Yep. Somewhere Buford Callaway is getting in his white escalade. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah. So, how's your week been? Uh, my week's been okay. Mm-hmm. Um, little stressful, but we've got MLK. Yep. Weekend here. Um, happy MLK Day. Yay, happy um, MLK Day. Yeah, I think it's I think it's been a stressful week for everybody. So uh, It has been. <laughs> it has been. Well, I don't think next week will be any less stressful. No, probably um, not. So um, you know what? Of all the weeks that you are going to show me the movie that we're going to watch this week, this is when I would have picked it because I just need the most absurd oh, good. escape into um, something psychotic. Okay, good. I'm glad you feel that way, because this is definitely a weird movie. I'm glad you aren't insulted by me calling this something psychotic. <laughs> no, it's a little psychotic, but it's meant to be an exploration of a young girl's psyche, oh, in I was a about sense. To say, this so, if I... it's a metaphor. <laughs> Why was this so Um... You still have not watched the entirety of, um, Over the Garden Wall. No, I haven't. Um, but there's... There's a line when uh, a kid a kid explains his life very literally, and they all think that it's figurative. And someone goes, "It's a metaphor," and he's about to cry. <laughs> and every time someone says something very seriously, "It's a metaphor." That's all I can think of. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, go watch Over the Garden Wall. By the way, we'll we'll watch it at some point on here, I'm sure. Um, but I I wrote. Um, I took one film class in college, which is why I'm just so, so intelligent about the ways of we, film. We have so much authority to talk about movies. So much. Um, you had a film minor. Um, I mean, it's still, it's a minor. It's you know? more than I have. I thought about getting the major and then they were like, you were going to have to be in school for at least an extra semester. And I was like... We want to graduate in December. Nah, bruh. Nah, bruh. Yeah. Screw that. <laughs> uh, I in my in my in my one film class I took, I wrote a uh, a little. Oh no no no! Um, we studied psychoanalysis and mm-hmm. film with um, oh what was it? It was a Hitchcock movie. Um, Who did you oh, have? Uh, like the one big film teacher 
um, I can't remember his name, but I'll never forget his face. I'm right? pretty sure it's the same professor. Right? Older Short guy, guy kind of looked like the human incarnation of Kermit glasses. Yes. Okay. Yep, we all have him. <laughs> um, I loved him, but I can't remember his name. Way to tie it back to the Muppets, by the way. Hey, um, on brand. Um, I can't remember what this movie was called, but it was about um, a... Is it North by Northwest? No, it's, it's in black and white. It's about a doctor at a mental uh, institution and a new doctor comes in who's played by Gregory Peck and he's extremely handsome. Oh, the actress, Gregory Peck is always mwah. Right? Chef's total yes. snack cake. Um, the, the psycho uh, analysis doctor who works there is a woman who's played by um, uh, the woman from Casablanca. I am so embarrassed. Oh, um, uh, um, Ber- Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman. Bergman yes. Um, and she is solely dedicated to her work and everyone's Mm. telling her that it's not right, that she's so unfeeling, she's so cold. Mm. And then of course, handsome doctor comes in and she discovers her true womanhood because suddenly she's enamored with this this other doctor. That sounds very Hitchcock. The other doctor may not be all. Years oh, okay. Yes. I don't think we watched that one. Um, we watched that one, and I had the choice of either writing a psychoanalytic mm-hmm. study of it or writing a feminist critique of it. And we know which one I picked. Yes. <laughs> See, <laughs> feminist critique is really easy with Alfred Hitchcock because he was kind of a misogynist. The things that he did to like the actresses on his sets to me almost makes it hard to watch his movies because when you watch like a woman screaming, you're like, is she acting? Mm-hmm. Or was Alfred Hitchcock basically torturing her? I feel really, <laughs> I, mean, I feel terrible. really bad. I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like you and I have, have established this, that there can be movies that I have huge, um, maybe ethical isn't always the right word. I think in Hitchcock's case, it's exactly the right word. Mm. Um, but ethical complaints with. Yeah. And they can still be some of my Good absolute movies. favorite yeah. movies. Um, I think the trick to it is just acknowledging. Yeah. Like, tying into this week's film, Labyrinth. <laughs> there are some cringe elements about it, especially I, in earlier drafts of the film. I would actually love for you to teach me about those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, we should probably save those for Craft after the movie. Film. Um, yeah, that's fair. But we'll definitely talk about them. But there are some things that, like, I adore this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But there are some things that are just a little creepy about it. Even even on, I've seen this movie twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those two times watching it, I've gone, okay, this is either, like, there's either a layer of depth that I'm not mm-hmm. getting to here, or there's things in this that are just super creepy, mm-hmm. and we just... Uh, attribute the ethical issues to eh, it was an 80s movie 80s kids movies did all sorts of terrible things okay so I think it's a little bit of both but I will say that there is a deeper level to the film and the parts that are creepy are supposed to make you feel a little creeped out Mm -hmm. namely that David Bowie is so much older than Jennifer Connelly he's straight up predatory that it's it's intentional cool yeah so we'll and talk about yet, that when we come back. And yet, okay, <laughs> so let's let's analyze. If you're about to say yet, you're in love with David Bowie in this oh film. My gosh. You're so right. Oh my god. <laughs> I was about to say let's analyze my own issues here. Why why do I always have a thing for <laughs> creepy, possessive, predatory men? You do. Like normally, normally I'm pretty like 
not into these types. There, it's just not my thing. Oh, phantom but, me up, baby. Let's go. Okay, that's not okay. Oh, that. <laughs> never mind. I. I don't know what the distinction is. Like you love Kylo Ren and I don't. I love how every episode you bring this up. I do. <laughs> because I don't get it. And I, I don't judge you for it, but I want to understand and I can't. We'll, we'll dive into it when we get to the films, but the short is I am not romantically in love with Kylo Ren. Many girls are. Mm -hmm. um, Kylo Ren does not float my boat. Ben Solo absolutely floats my boat. Okay. Um, and I love Kylo Ren as a character because I love the angsty boy. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's probably some deeper, um, deeper psychology things there. I don't know. Yeah. Not super interested in getting into it until we get to both. Maybe I don't know enough of his backstory, but for me, like, I want you my angsty boys to have like a real tragic backstory. Oh, and he's like, I have mommy, daddy, and uncle issues. And I'm like, not enough. Everyone in this world has family issues. It doesn't mean you have to be evil. Fair. Move on. No, I Whereas like Phantom is like, all of society has rejected me because of my disappointment my disability and deformity. Like, I'm like, that is a valid reason to go evil. You be you. I'm, Get it, queen. I'm not here to say the sequels are good. <laughs> when we watch these movies, I'll be there to say that I enjoy the sequels. I will not be there to say that they're good. Yeah. Like, like the amount... See, Anakin, on the other hand... I feel like I feel like we're going down the rabbit hole. We are going hole. down the rabbit hole. Switch I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna I'm gonna switch veer back to Labyrinth. But Anakin lost like everyone he loved, and the the order that he served disrespected him, disregarded him, and invalidated all of his feelings. I kind of get why he's evil. This is why Anakin's my favorite character. I love he's Anakin. So he's so good. Yeah. Well, I will I will spur, uh you know just gush about my love for Anakin when we uh, when we get to these. I, but I, mean, I think there's a reason why we keep coming back to Star Wars for everything, because it's kind of like it's a great way to talk about movies as a whole. Yeah. But, um, I'm going to tie it in. Do it, please. Um, so Muppets? Muppets are in Star Wars. <laughs> they are. <laughs> and uh, our film today, Labyrinth, which I'm going to tell you more about. I'm going to give you the synopsis of it in just a second. Um, but it was produced by George Lucas. I did know that. So there it is. Um, but before before I give um, our audience a rundown of this film and a brief plot synopsis, what's the vibe today, Lizzie? Uh, the vibe is Purple Owl, which is a lovely little Pinot. Cheers to uh, Owl that's at the beginning of the yeah. movie and once at the end, and I don't think ever shows up anywhere in the middle. Pretty much not. But I, I do want to I, I want to share a little D and D tidbit with you. So, um, well, it's technically not D&D, &D, it's Pathfinder. Um, for our- You mean Mathfinder? Mathfinder. For our friends listening who do not play tabletop games, Dungeons and Dragons is like the most well-known version. It's, it is the game that people are most familiar with. There is a different game that functions very similar, similarly to Dungeons and Dragons, and it's called Pathfinder. Or sometimes Mathfinder, because there's a lot <laughs> of numbers and stats and all kinds of crazy stuff that you have to keep track of some and people, there's lots of math. Some people prefer it because it does get into those nitty gritty mm -hmm. and lets you customize in those ways. Mm -hmm. um, me, I am a um, rule of cool player. So yeah. I'm See, not- I was surprised cause I'm in d and I'm very much rule of cool, but I liked, sorry that might mess up the audio. I was gonna say we <laughs> just had the eight. <laughs> 
my, the AC turned on. My heater works his little tail off to try and he pump does his heat best through this apartment, but he does so in a very loud way. At least um, we're a little. We we figured out last time we need to <laughs> sort of reposition ourselves. Yeah. In the apartment. So I'm just gonna lean in so that that we're heard. Um, lean with but, it. But God. Um, Rock with it. So I actually really liked Pathfinder because of how customizable your characters were. Um, so I had a character who was a, a witch named Tamsin, and her familiar was a white owl mm -hmm. named Jareth, which is the name of the Goblin King in Labyrinth. And I was so proud of myself, and no one at the table really got it, because none of them were really like into Labyrinth, I guess. And I was just sitting there like, Jareth, anybody? Anybody? And they all just looked at me like I was crazy. Um, Are you ready for this? Hmm. Um, my two very good friends who are sisters play sisters in one of our campaigns. They are half elves and their father is an elven bard named Jareth. Yo. Yo. Intentional? Intentional. Good. Yep. Love it. So, uh, the, the labyrinth showing up in D&D seems to reach far and wide. It's very, um, it's very much a millennial thing. Yes. I also was playing with... Um, some guys of a, of a more of a Gen X generation. Some of them, some of them might have even been. I don't know. But they had a couple boomers. There were a few boomers in there. It was, I was like the youngest person in the group, um, so that may have been why it went over their head. But I thought surely something that came out in 1986 would resonate, but it did not. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about our movie. Okay, so. Um, it is Labyrinth. It is Labyrinth. This film came out in 1986. Um, it is directed by Jim Henson. Um, and it is um, produced by George Lucas, like I said. Um, the reviews on this are really, really mixed. Um, and I disagree very strongly with a lot of the reviews. Rotten Tomatoes uh, gives it a... Um, 72% critic score and an 86% audience score. However, when you look at the top critics, it only gets about a 50 and then Metacritic gives it a 50 as well. Mm -hmm. um, and they're wrong. Um, but I want to take a minute and just um, dump a little bit on one of the reviews I read. This review was written in 1986 and the fact that I'm being petty about it only like, what, 40 years later, Oh my um, gosh, 30, so it's 35 years later, but think about that. We're coming up on, on 40, 40 years. Um, That's so, terrifying. So they're really, really, really mixed reviews. People aren't really sure what to make of this film. Some people love it, some people hate it. It's all over the place. Um, but there's somebody named Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, Sis Siskel and Ebert. Oh, duh, I'm stupid. Oh, well, anyways, um, he... Uh, his take on this movie is horrible and I hate it. He calls this movie, what an enormous waste of talent and money. Um, I think that's incredibly harsh. Wow. Why? Um, okay, it's good. I, okay. And I don't have a reason for why it's good. It just is. I, for me, at least, um, the, now you, you watched this film growing up. I did not see this film until I was 18 years old. Um, okay, and, that's probably part of it. And I, my memory of it was that 
Um, it's kind of the opposite of the usual turn of phrase. I felt like the sum of its parts was not as good as, or was better than the whole. The whole. I'm sorry. So the yeah. story, because it's so much about an internal journey of a character, the plot points are kind of meh. If that makes sense, yeah, because I, it's all metaphorical, which there there's a way to do that well. Um, there's lots of, of, for example, like Lord of the Flies, right? Everything's like a symbol or a metaphor, yeah. and yet it it slaps. It works well. This film doesn't quite hit the nail on the head, but but it its component parts work really well. I here's think. here's the thing with Lord of the Flies, <laughs> English major moment here. <laughs> um. While there's always this thing, I hate when people say like, I hate, you know, having conversations about books or movies because people say everything's subjective, but then I'm always wrong. And here's the thing, everything is objective or subjective because everything can be applied to people differently. Mm -hmm. But the reason why Lord of the Flies works is that there is a consistency with what the different symbolic mm -hmm. elements mean. Yeah. And when those function in the story, it makes sense how they function in the story. Yeah, and I honestly think that literature is not subjective. I think it's open to audience input and interpretation, mm -hmm. but there's a clear meaning. Yes. Um, and I think both are valid. But you know what this film is lacking? Huh? <laughs> a clear meaning. I, and, and I know that I'm going to share it with you. I know that you're going to argue that yeah. there is one. Yeah. And I, I do think there are certain different pieces that mm -hmm. can be put together. But you cannot tell me that the theme that this film is building up to is not completely undermined in the last 10 seconds of this movie. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still going to make an argument for the end. That's fine. I'm curious. I, I really want to rewatch it. Okay. I really want to have these these different moments standing out in my head. Yeah. Um, but I, I also remember that my my overall feeling with it was that there were parts that I really enjoyed mm -hmm. and there were parts that I really didn't enjoy. Mm -hmm. There were parts that I kind of had that um, dark crystal unease yeah. that I, I had watching the entirety of the dark crystal. I definitely have <laughs> during parts of it during here. Parts of it yeah. here. Um, and then there's parts that do, I do find genuinely enchanting. Yeah. So um, I'm more excited to watch this than I was to watch The Dark Crystal. Good, so good. Um, okay, so brief plot synopsis and then let's get into it. So you have a young girl named Sarah who is forced to babysit her young brother who is a baby named You want to talk Toby. about people who say they have really hard problems right? but really don't have <laughs> She's hard like, problems. God, you always ruin my weekend, dad. Um, but in her defense, she's like 14. Um, I want her and 14 year old Kylo to <laughs> go right. get like boba tea or something together. But that's um, such a specific thing. <laughs> it is, but I feel like they'd work together. Um, so yeah, she's babysitting her baby brother Toby, and she's like, "Ugh, I don't want to do this. I wish, I wish you would like go away, like Goblin King, Goblin King, come get this baby so I don't have to deal with them." And she's like kind of joking because it's like something she read about in one of her favorite books. 
Only plot twist, the Goblin King actually shows up and David Bowie's like, sure, I'll take your baby. And then he just leaves. And so then she has to go to the Goblin King's like magical realm in order to get her baby brother back because she was just being like a snarky teenager and she didn't actually mean it. But the goblins don't like care about that nuance. So she's got to go save her baby brother, Toby. Um, also, fun fact, as a kid, I think I've told you this before, but as a kid, my sister used to say that if like when she was babysitting me, like she'd be like, you know, if you're bad, I'll call the Goblin King. And I was like, no! And now that I'm older, I'm like, you could call the Goblin King on me. Like, I, that, I'd be okay with that. I could go be a queen in the Goblin realm. This is fine. So <laughs> the, my perception of this film changed a lot as I grew with it. Um, Again, watching it as an 18-year-old, <laughs> yeah, I just stepped into it and I was like, oh, okay. I, I know what he's about. Yep. I know um, what I'm about. I feel like this is one one more thing that we should mention before we watch the movie. For those listening, David Bowie's costume. I'm not going to get too much into it, but if you're not sure what he looks like, you should look it up. His tights deserve their own IMDb page. <laughs> they do! They worked so they hard deserve, in this movie. They deserve a casting credit. Also, I totally stole that <laughs> joke from my friend Laura at UGA. Laura, you're welcome. I love you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, again, when we talk about the psychoanalysis of this film, it will make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, anyways, without further ado, here's Labyrinth. Let's dive into the trivia. Woo -woo. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. So. Labyrinth. 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 I'm thinking about David Bowie. Aren't I, we all? <laughs> the tights, the shoes. We're all gonna fall asleep tonight and be like, hmm, David, David Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> the cloak he wears at the end. Um, what is it he says like, love me, serve me, and I will be your slave. And I'm like, what is it, <gasps> worship me? Worship me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, David Bowie. Obey me, and I will, <laughs> I will be, be your, your slave. slave. Which makes no sense, but also all the sense. All the sense in the world. I'm like, yeah, that checks, David Bowie, that checks. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good thing Sarah was the protagonist and not me, because I would have just been like, all right, bye, Toby. Oh, Bye, Toby. Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so. Are you ready for my analysis of this film? I have a feeling. It's um, kind of Freudian, and I'd like to preface think, this by it saying- has It has to be. I'd like to preface this by saying that Freudian psychoanalysis is a very narrow lens through which to, to analyze any form of, of text. Um, and it does not always work. It doesn't always check, and it's, Kind of bullshit, frankly. Oh, absolutely. But I think this story in particular is interested in Freudian psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. I think that's what this is supposed to be. Because mm -hmm. um, really, this is an internal struggle with letting go of childhood. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, I think, stems from Sarah's grief and it's causing her to hold on to the past. Like her stepmother at the beginning of the film basically says like, you know, 
if you wanted to go out on the weekends, we wouldn't make you babysit Toby, but you don't hang out with people and you should be like going on dates and stuff and you're not. And she's like, what, maybe 15? Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure how old she's supposed to be. Yeah. Too young um, for David Bowie to be hitting on her like he does. <laughs> um, but but just old enough for us all to be like, if I were her age, I wouldn't mind David Bowie hitting yeah. on me. Like, the thing is, is like, she... I think we're supposed to realize that something's off with Sarah from the beginning. She's living in this fantasy world. And also like when you're 15, I think it's normal to have lots of stuffed animals still from your childhood. Um, but being so attached that you get mad if a younger brother takes it, mm -hmm. that might be extreme at that age. Yep. Like I said in the beginning, who goes LARPing by, by themselves. themselves in the public park? I'm sure there's lots of people who do it in their backyards. I feel that. who does it by themselves. That dress though. Oh, it's great. I love that dress. And we, then, we talked and then about it starts raining. She's like, oh man. And she picks up her skirt and there's jeans underneath, underneath it. The dress. Um, what an 80s vibe, the running through the small town. It always has that yeah. weird Victorian vibe in every yes. 80s film. But, and there's no people in it. No people. And there's few cars and maybe a couple bikes. And then the kids like, Oh, like, darn, I gotta get home. Mom's gonna kill me. And Is then it, that's there's how like all a stories synth, start. Every 80s movie. And then there's a synth in the background while they run home. The Goonies starts that way. Um, pretty sure Back to the Future kind of has that vibe. I'm late, late for, for school. school. Yeah. Uh, the Little Mermaid starts that way. Yes, it does. <laughs> Literally all It's such an movies. 80s vibe. Um, the Goofy movie starts that way. The Goofy movie does start that way. Yeah. The Goofy movie was uh, 90s. It was 90s, but but, but it kind of, it transferred over a little bit. Yeah. It definitely did. If um, you ever want to hear me do like my, here's my deep analysis of why this movie is better than it gets credit for. Oh. Um, that'll be my- uh, Oh, we my, should do, we should totally do the Goofy movie at some point. I love the Goofy movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, once she goes into the goblin world, um, one of the things is at the beginning, Sarah is very, very clearly immature. And she's like, that's not fair. And she's kind of living in this fantasy world. And if you pay close attention to her room, there's a few things that stand out. One is that her mother is clearly absent, whether dead or gone, we're not sure. Um, she's very cruel to her stepmother unfairly because she's playing into the fantasy trope of the evil stepmother. Like Sarah wants her stepmother to be the evil stepmother mm -hmm. because living in a fantasy where she's evil is easier than accepting that mom is gone. Mm -hmm. um, and also if you notice the playbill on her mirror and then the photo of her mom, it's the same woman. The playbill must have been what she takes down at the end. I, I think pointed so. out to you, she takes something off. Her yeah, she leaves the picture of her mom, but I think she takes down the playbill. And so I think so much of Sarah's like melodramatic personality is her trying to hold on to her mom mm -hmm. in some ways, shape or form. And also her desperation to hang on to childhood probably stems from that need to hold on to the past with her mom mm -hmm. as well, which is why she's kind of late to the game mm -hmm. growing up. Um, and Toby kind of represents everything new. Her dad's remarriage, her, you know, the the future, you know, without her mom, 
And so it's easy for her to hate Toby. And I think that's why he gets the brunt of her ire in the film. But when actually confronted with the opportunity to get rid of Toby, it's not truly what she wants. Because she does actually love Toby. She just is hurting. She's a hurt little girl. So when she says, you know, I wish the goblins would come and take you away right now. And then she gets her wish. She realizes pretty quickly it's not actually what she wanted. So then she goes kind of into this, you know, mm-hmm. she she passes like, what is it? The first gate or what do you call it in the hero's journey? Oh, she crossed the threshold. The threshold. She crosses, crosses the threshold. And then of course, um, well, we'll get to David Bowie in a minute, but throughout her journey, she meets three characters that she hangs out with. You've got Hoggle, Ludo, and Sir Didymus. And this is my psychoanalysis take. Um, I think I've heard some other people say this too mm-hmm. over the years. Um, so in psychoanalysis, a lot of the time we can look at like the id, the ego, and the superego of your unconscious. Um, so like the id is like very like base, simple desires. And it's kind of almost like the animalistic part of us that's just functioning purely on instinct. That's Ludo, the like smell bad, Mm -hmm. you know, Sarah friend, like, and then he like controls rocks. He's very connected to nature. It's that very simple side of us and then there's like the super ego that has to do more with like morality um and that's sir didymus and he's always like i am a noble knight and i always do what is correct and right Mm -hmm. and then you've got the ego kind of between the two um that is kind of balancing out those tendencies but also the the ego kind of can be focused more on like what's practical and also like self-preservation, that's Hoggle, right? Um, He wants to do the right thing. He wants to help Sarah. He wants to have friends, but he's scared because realistically he understands Jareth's power. And so Sarah, like these three characters represent parts of Sarah. That That I see pretty. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, Ludo is just very simply what she wants. Friendship, you know, to go home, mm-hmm. to be safe. Mm-hmm. And Sir Didymus is that part of her, from the very beginning that we've seen, he's, he's the fantasy knight. There's part of her that wants to be the fantasy knight princess warrior, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Hoggle, who's legitimately scared to be in this place and who recognizes Jareth for the threat he is. And then Jareth, who represents kind of heightened masculinity in a lot of ways, um, and like kind of sexual desire. I I, I would just boil him down to representing mm-hmm. fantasy. Like, yeah. But not not the Serdidimus, well, kind of the Serdidimus fantasy, because he is still like a I mean, he's, the, he's, he's literally the goblin king, you know. But like, he is... He is this fantastical, mm-hmm. burgeoning, like, mm-hmm. form of exploration and desire. Yeah. And so I think part of why he is the villain is because he represents some of those adult desires. Mm. And at the end of the film, it's not 
that's the thing is Jareth is never wholly bad, but at the end of the film, Sarah says basically, you don't control me. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that he's completely evil, but that she has she as a person and her um her own agency and authority has control over all all various sorts of her desires. Yeah. It's the empowerment of autonomy. Yes. Like it's her fantasy, mm-hmm. but she's in control. Of it, yes. Which is pretty empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think sort of a a good I, I saw a thing talking about like the difference between um, like young men's fantasies mm-hmm. versus young women's fantasies and a lot of young women like coming into like early romantic mm-hmm. fiction it's a lot about them making a choice mm-hmm. and having um, some degree of like I said autonomy and ownership mm-hmm. over their romantic relationships yeah and I think that's part of like but also I think kind of furthering what I was saying like the idea of her holding on to the past mm-hmm. to some extent too this kind of melodrama idea of relationship and fantasy mm-hmm. is still something that has an element of the past. It's a fairy tale fantasy, not a healthy one. Mm-hmm. And it's not that the fantasy itself is wholly bad, but at the end, like throughout the film, she cannot remember that last line that actually banishes the Goblin mm-hmm. King until she's finally confronted with him at the very end. And she just says, basically, you don't control me anymore. And so I think in a, in a way, since he represents both desire and fantasy, but also like just based on like the various designs of his clothing, like the fantasy and the past are so interwoven for Sarah that when she says basically you don't control me control me anymore, she fully steps into her role as an adult and she's able to go back to the modern world. Um, we also see her beginning earlier than that. We we see her beginning to accept her role as an adult when um, they're in the trash pile. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to this place. It, it's like full of trash, and there's this one one uh, goblin who's like, "Oh yes, come inside, see my wares." And she goes inside the goblin's house, and it's her bed. It's Sarah's bedroom, and the goblin's like, "Oh yes, here's your favorite teddy bear, Sir Lancelot. You love him, don't you? Here's Bunny. Don't you love your Bunny? Here's your panda slippers. You love your panda slippers." And she starts giving her all the things that she treasures and cherishes, um, and that she has since she's a child. And Sarah keeps going like, "No, this is not what I'm here for. I'm looking for something." And and they're trying to distract her. And then finally, she says, "No, this stuff is all just junk." I want my brother. And that's when she throws it away and her room crumbles. Um, But it's her literally saying like, this is just stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm ready to put my childhood behind me and do like what's right and kind of step into this Mm -hmm. new role of a more adult person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think, and, but one thing that I think the film also comments on is that the three friends that she has, mm-hmm. the, her, her basically her id, ego, and superego, they are still elements of kind of her childhood. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, they come back and they say, if you need us, mm-hmm. and she says, like, 
like I need you guys. There will be times in my life when I need you. Mm-hmm. And then she parties with the Muppets because we have to have a happy ending. But more importantly, I, I know you don't love the ending, but my interpretation is that there's an acknowledgement of balance between past and future. You don't have to reject your past. Mm -hmm. You just have to recognize that it's a part of who you are and cherish it without becoming so obsessed with it that you miss what's right in front of you Mm -hmm. and miss your new opportunities. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like the ending. And even though it feels almost anti-thematic, I think it's the balance that Sarah finds Because as a girl who's 15, Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to put her childhood completely behind her yet. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I actually don't mind them showing up in the mirror Mm -hmm. and saying, should you ever need us? And Mm -hmm. her saying, no, I I will need you from time to time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I liked them being in the mirror because it's an acknowledgement of fantasy. Fantasy. And so then when they appear in reality in the room... yeah. It, it throws it off. And I understand that you're you're never going to be able to achieve Wizard of Oz ending again because it already did it. Mm-hmm. And Wizard of Oz essentially has, yeah. in my opinion, a perfect ending. It does. Um, and and this is carrying on in here's here is my analysis of this is get a little, get a little more my kind of heavy heavy read into this. Um, this is continuing on in the great tradition of young ingenue gets mm-hmm. lost in fantastical world mm-hmm. um, with dark elements mm-hmm. um, as part of like this growing up buildings room on. Mm-hmm. Um, but she and I, I agree with pretty much everything that you've said mm-hmm. so far. Um yeah, she she grows up and she makes this transition. I think everything makes sense. Like she's mm-hmm. letting go of the childhood things. She gives the bear to the brother. Um, she, you know, rejects this kind of like dark figure of her fantasies, all these things. Um and acknowledging, like, yes, I still need this story mm-hmm. that's so important to me to be a part of my existence mm-hmm. kind of gets nullified with them actually appearing there. And it's also one of those, like, her, you know, her room has been so, like, cluttered and crowded. Mm-hmm. And, like, it ends with it being even more so and, yeah. like, even After more chaotic. Just kind of put away some of her things. Yep. Um, I actually agree with that. Maybe what would have been really fun is if we had seen like her dancing around her room and then mm-hmm. looked in the mirror and saw all of her like little friends with her or mm-hmm. something. You yeah. um, showed the owl flying away. That's great. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because you gotta get that sweet, sweet owl shot. Right? <laughs> um, so yeah. So that's, that's my that's my thing. I think um this this isn't one of my personal treasures. It's one of those one movies that like I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I get why people really really like it. Yeah, it is not my aesthetic in particular. Even when I watch like the map, and it is your aesthetic to we, a T. Okay, so we figured this out halfway through watching this. Like this forged your aesthetic. It did. We you know how um, 
some of you may not know this, but if you're if you're on like Pinterest or, or TikTok, there's lots of new names for different types of aesthetics. Like cottage core is very like pastel, flowers, teapots, living in a cottage, picking flowers, and it's very cute. And I love cottage core, but it didn't quite fit. And then there's goblin core, which is like kind of like cottage core, but a little more chaotic. It's hoardery and lots of rocks. Rocks and frogs and mushrooms. And then there's kind of this witchy aesthetic. Sometimes I've, I've heard it called witch core, but mm -hmm. I don't see that one around as much. It's kind of like this, you know, very dark kind of goth, mm -hmm. you know, magical, fantastical vibe. And I finally realized my aesthetic is what I'm calling from here on out labyrinth core, yeah. which is a little sprinkling of all three. It is simultaneously cute and floral, dark and edgy, and just chaotic and a little gross. Yeah. <laughs> the, the chaotic and a little gross is what throws me off. I have physical trouble watching the scene when all the little people with their like scary naked mole rat fetus, yeah. shark teeth, <laughs> weapons <clears throat> have caught Ludo and are uh -huh. like, like it, it's so unsettling. Yeah. And so I don't particularly enjoy that. You're very cottage core. I'm like, we're sitting, thank you. We're sitting at a table that, <laughs> let me, let me describe our surroundings. We're sitting in my apartment. We're sitting in an apartment with mainly like white or kind of off white gray walls. Our, the chairs we're sitting in ha are covered in a cream fabric. They are wooden chairs, like kind of a, what color would you call this? Like a this is chestnut? Like, yeah. Like a, a beautiful like chestnut wood, uh, like kitchen, dining room set. There are framed paintings in the same kind of wood color around us of fruit in a bowl and three little girls who are presumably from the early 1900s reading a book with flowers behind them. There's like- These were my great grandmothers. <laughs> they're very, yeah, there's like Jane Austen books and paraphernalia everywhere. There's so many framed pictures of flowers. Like you are so cottagecore, it's not even funny. Thank you. <laughs> Deeply flattered. Um, I, you know, it's funny, um, I, I realized when we were watching this, like, I, I'm always waiting for to get to the um, masquerade scene because of course I am. Um, we, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second, um, about uh, why I think that scene is so appealing. Mm -hmm. But I, I always think that I'm going to love the aesthetic of it, but then I don't because there's always this dark, twisted undercurrent mm -hmm. of the party which it's supposed to be because she is a child in an adult party. Right. Um, and it's supposed to feel dangerous and, mm. and off kilter. Yeah. Um, but I, <laughs> so I realized I'm like, oh no, I like Sarah's aesthetic. I want to be beautiful white dress, main character princess. Mm -hmm. I don't want scary goat mask. <laughs> See, but I love the mix. I love that she's pretty princess, but that David Bowie's hitting on her from across the room with his scary goat. Mask. I appreciate. I love it. it. I appreciate it. I mostly appreciate. And the weird I mostly appreciate of blue his, in his hair. I was gonna say I mostly appreciate mostly appreciate his glittery blue jacket. Yes, that's also an entirely different thing. Uh, so okay, so we talked about this. We figured it out. Um, Liv, you like. 
Uh, I like emo intellectual sad boys who are yes. like string beans. Yes. Think Caleb Widogast from uh, Critical Role. Yes. Basically any character that Liam O'Brien has ever played ever. And see, I am not into any Liam O'Brien characters yeah. at all. Like also like Kakashi Hatake from Naruto, like sad boy teacher who just doesn't know how to function with his life. Complete and utter disaster. Yeah, that's absolutely. Well, we're, we're, we're getting, so, and I like sad, Beefcake boys, yes. <laughs> who <laughs> who usually um, are are very passionate, but sometimes their passions like yeah. overflow. Yeah, and we realize that the overlap that we like mm-hmm. are disaster boys <laughs> are like with with like a, a flamboyant aesthetic, flamboyant, slightly effeminate disaster boys. Think think Phantom of the Opera. Phantom That's where we opera. overlap. He's not. He's not purely an intellectual string bean. He's a little bit of a beefcake, but he went out of his way to pick out that hat, that cloak, and that mask to go get the girl. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. That's, so that's the overlap. Klaus, Umbrella Academy, we both love Klaus. Yeah, he falls into that category. <laughs> he does. Um, yeah. I, so I, I we, we, we were just talking about this and we, we both love David Bowie in this movie. Yeah. And And he definitely falls into that category. He appears in a shower storm of glitter. Simultaneously hyper-masculine, but also kind of effeminate. Very effeminate. Yeah. Um, But also tights too tight. (laughs) Are they though? If I had watched that as a child, depending, well, if I had, there's no way I would have watched that before I had brothers, but like, that movie's educational in ways that it probably shouldn't be. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I remember watching this with my sister when I was a child and being really confused why they thought David Bowie, like, cause she thought he was hot. I knew she did, but I was like, him? I don't get it. And then I saw it, I get, like, I saw it again when I was like 16 and all of a sudden I was like, oh. oh. He's like the rock star fantasy. Yes. He really brings that. He has a weird face, but he works it. He does work it. We also talked about this. We said that any guy who thinks that they just inherently, no girl will ever like them because Mm -hmm. they they don't naturally look a certain Mm -hmm. way. That is an absolute falsehood um, because it is confidence the way you carry yourself mm-hmm. um, in, in real life kindness. We know that, that right. Jareth Bowie... Obviously, Jareth would not would not <laughs> do it for us in real life. Like, like it's, He'd be fun to flirt with at the bar, but you would never take him home. No, but it's, again, it is it is the, the confidence and way in which you carry yourself. He doesn't... I, you cannot look at a picture of him yeah. and be like, ooh, that one. If you had just showed me the cover of this movie... I'm like, what? <laughs> But then he literally bursts through the window in a cloud of glitter and he's like, <laughs> and Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. And I'm like, can I tell you the one that gets me? Forget about the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> the one that I quote the most. Um, so you guys, if you've been listening, you've heard Zoe, um, my little dog. Um, she's rather stinky in general. She just kind of farts a lot. Um, so there's a, a place in Labyrinth, if you haven't seen it, called 
the bog of eternal stench. Yep. Um, and he so, says it exactly like that. Just like that. Every time. He says it like eight times. And he yep. says it the exact same way every time. Um, and I waffle between... My husband and I, sometimes we call Zoe just strictly the bog of eternal stench. Sometimes we change it to dog of eternal stench. No. Um, but, um, yeah. We, but with the David Bowie voice, that's Always. very essential. Always. Um, so real quick, let's get into, um, tell me what worked for you and what didn't work specifically. Um, I'll go I'll go backwards. So what didn't work, um, not a big fan of Hoggle. I don't, oh. I'm sorry. I know you love him. I love Hoggle. I don't find him ugly cute. I just find him ugly yeah. and a little off-putting. Um, I, I love the other two. Didymus and Ludo are great. Um, there's also some pacing problems with this movie. So many pacing problems. There's a lot of scenes that, and, and you pointed this out when we watched Dark Crystal, like mm-hmm. these are creators who are flexing their creativity. Um, they're flexing that they're making a high fantasy with puppets. Yes, which, which again is really admirable, but I think there's a lot of things that get lost. Like, so, so all these things that you talked about, like, you know, her, her attachment to her mom, and these are all things that you can read when you, like, pick apart I've seen this movie so many times before I realized what all the pictures were of. I've watched this movie twice before, and I've never thought to myself, maybe her mom is dead. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe she's still attached to her mom. Like, none of that's ever crossed my mind. Because it's not really communicated. It's not really explored. Um, There's also a lot of times characters will like say things in the background that I'm like, is that supposed to be funny? Are we being set up for the jokes don't always land? Are we being set up for a joke that I don't get because the audio quality isn't there or it's just performed awkwardly? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of these sequences are way too long. Mm -hmm. Um, There are places. What? Well, I was supposed to say my one of my favorite sequences is the MC Escher staircase, mm-hmm. and we have this great song being sung by David Bowie in the background. But we stretch that scene out for, forever just so that he can finish the song, and it it's just it doesn't work. Yeah, there should have been more movement, more action. Um, even if they wanted to have the whole song, there's ways they could have done it to make it feel faster paced. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's moments too. So there are moments where I think they linger correctly. Um, the chaos that kind of ensues at the masquerade, even though they're there for pretty much a whole song, that never feels long to me. No, but if they keep it interesting because mm-hmm. you, it's there's no dialogue. You don't yeah. need dialogue. Right. And there's so much interesting to look at in that scene mm-hmm. that it works. Yeah. And you feel like... And Her. also the fact that it's it's taking long fits with what's actually happening in the story because yeah. he's trying to distract her and waste her time so that she doesn't get to the castle yeah. in time to get Toby back. And it happens again in the MC Escher scene, but like we all see the baby. We all know what she's trying to get to. She feels lost in the mm-hmm. in the party scene. But again, like there's there's so much going on mm-hmm. in that scene that it's interesting to look at. So I will I'll be the first to say that this movie is interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. There's shots I would rather look at than mm-hmm. others. Um, things I'd rather explore than others. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think there's some, especially like in the for me honestly, it's the battle at the end. That one that, takes so long that I'm I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm just kind of over it by then. And we um, spend so much time seeing the goblins in the battle running around, and they're supposed to be fighting Sarah, Ludo, Hoggle, and Didymus. And there are times where we don't even know where Sarah, Hoggle, Ludo, and Didymus are. Yeah. Because they're so focused on just showing us the goblins. And yes. it's like, get back to the protagonists and what they are doing and the journey they're going. <laughs> Sorry about that. We hit, we're back. <laughs> it stopped recording for just a moment. We promised we would be. Um. <laughs> Random Muppet quote for you. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. Um, I... Yeah, I'm not sure how we managed that, but uh, sorry if that sounds weird or there's a blip. Yep, we'll uh, we'll figure that out. This is a very lazy podcast. We're not like we're gonna edit it together. We're like sorry, sorry that it sounds weird. Yeah. But, uh, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> One day maybe we'll like, work day. really hard on this, but yeah. nah. Today is not that day. This is good for now. Um, I so so I, I think I think that's pretty much what's in my um, doesn't doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what does work for me? I could sit here and talk about David Bowie all day long. Yeah. Um, Sarah's outfit is mwah. Yeah. I would wear that today. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the shoes. The shoes are. I cute love too. her shoes. Little loafers. I think we should bring back the vibe of like. Mixing fantasy elements with like real life normal fashion, yeah. like poofy shirts with jeans. Can I be honest? I've said forever, we need to bring cloaks back. Cloaks? Why don't we wear cloaks? They're so empowering. They are. You bring feel mystical. Back. Yeah. And they're warm too. Yeah, I could conquer the world in a, in little, a good cloak. Little floral waistcoats, gold jewelry. Yeah. Barrettes, girl. <laughs> Take note, fashion industry. It's so true. Um, so, uh, I guess other things, um, that work for me, um, I will say when the pacing is done right, I feel like the story as a whole mm-hmm. is paced very well. Mm-hmm. I feel like it explores, um, you know, kind of these, these themes of, of growing up and balancing fantasy and reality mm-hmm. and what actually matters and is a value to you, um, I feel like those are explored well. Um, some of these puppets I really do like and enjoy. Um, so yeah, I, I will say I enjoyed this more than I had before, mm-hmm. but I, I gotta be honest, I feel like a lot of my enjoyment of this movie comes from seeing my friends who enjoy it so mm-hmm. much. And um, so like, yeah, I would, I would put this in my with the right kind of people. So it's not it's not treasure, but it's treasure adjacent. Treasure it's, adjacent. Okay. All scenes with David Bowie <laughs> yes. are filed forever in my in my treasure bank. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Now you actually had some critiques of Sarah Connolly's acting. Yes, I actually. I, you're right. I, I did fail to talk about this. Um, you said in the beginning you felt like um, you know her her melodrama is um, just you know she's trying to be this this sad, spoiled princess who's, mm-hmm. you know, so upset about everything. Yeah, she's playing a part because she, it's a form of escape for her. Yeah. 
I think she still carries some of that though mm-hmm. when she it definitely tones down. Yeah. But she still carries some of that melodrama even when she's not supposed to. I said she looks best in this film when she's scared. She does. She plays scared very well. She plays scared very well when she's lost at the party, mm-hmm. when she's first approaching the crib because she knows something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I thought that was done very well. Um but yeah, I think there's still moments in this when she's like, you know, you were taking me back to the beginning, weren't you? Yeah. Like, and I'm like, okay, yeah. okay. That's fair. But, um, but she's also a young actress. But I do really like it still. There's something about the silliness of her performance that works for me. It, this is the only movie that it could even mm-hmm. remotely work in. You take her out of this and you put her in anything else with yeah. people this age. Yeah. It's gonna just look weird. Yeah. And something about her, like, I think she and Bowie have really good chemistry. Yeah. Which for what works it's supposed for, to for be. For what it's supposed to be. Yes. Yeah. Um I think <laughs> I think she is crushing super hard. On David Can Bowie. Can you blame her? Like, I feel like she was on set and she was like, that's, uh, that's um, who I'm working with. <laughs> if David Bowie walked up to me on set, I'd be like, I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> like, I don't know any of my lines. I knew them a minute ago, but they're gone. Sorry. What was that last what, line? What am I supposed to say? Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I love I love some of the creative puppetry. I love the the hands. That's actually one the of my favorite. Hands. Yeah. yeah, they're great. Super smart, just to use hands. Mm-hmm. Um, Making I, faces with them is super cool. Yeah. Um, the doors are fun. The doors are fun. You know me, I love the worm. He's my favorite. The worm is cute. His little oh, scarf. Don't mind me. I'm just a worm. <laughs> come in and have a cup of tea and make the misses. <laughs> I do. He's so cute. He's very cute. So yeah, so I, I think that's pretty much my yeah. um, my thoughts. Well, this is um, for me. This is uh, this movie is probably um, four out of five of those like glass balls that David Bowie juggles. Only I'm surprised. I do think it has pacing problems. Yeah. I think with a few minor rewrites, this movie would be one of the best movies ever made. Mm. But there are a few flaws throughout yeah. it. Um, that even though I I say so begrudgingly because I love this film, they're flaws. Yeah. They're there. Yeah. Um, but this movie is still a treasure. I would give this three out of five Magic Bowie balls. Okay. <laughs> that joke was already written. Let's be real. It was. It was just waiting. Uh, um, yeah. So go watch Labyrinth if you've never seen it. It is, it is worth a watch. It is definitely worth at least one watch. If if nothing else, this the music that David Bowie wrote for it so good. is stunning. Um, Dance Magic Dance is such a good number. Such a bop. Um, but also, like, some of the other songs. I really love Chili Down, the one that the um, the red guys sing. Not a fan of that one. <laughs> um, I love I love the, uh, the final song. The, yes. The MC Escher song. That one's so really good. good. So good. All right. Well, uh, what are we watching next? Have we decided? We probably should have talked about this. We probably should have. I gotta be honest. I don't know because I thought we were going to do one more Muppets movie before we had our I think so. So that's the case. 
I had offered a Muppet movie, but normally we don't do two in a row. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm honestly for, for my month, I feel like anything that I would pick, you've probably already seen. Uh-huh. Um, and you know that I haven't seen Muppets in Space, and I thought that was one that you were leaning towards. Yeah, so I guess let's do that next. Cool. So we're almost done with Muppet months. Two more weeks, guys. And also think, you know, in, in the future months, like, we're going to have Twilight month at some point, and that entire month is just going to be you, because I've only seen each Twilight movie, like, once. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm, I've never seen the second or the third one. You're so lucky. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that'll be fun. Oh, will it, though? Parts uh, of it will. The first one and the last one will be so much fun. Will it, though? Yes. Will it? I, no, I I promise you. Can we watch it with riff tracks? Have you seen that? I have. It's but so I don't good. want it to sway our... Okay. Our, okay. Um, well, we'll watch them, and then maybe we'll go back sometime and watch them with riff tracks. And yes. Talk about it. But, um, yeah, so I think next is Muppets in Space, which um, stars Gonzo as the main character and uh, has the best Muppets set. Ooh, okay. I say that. I don't know. The Labyrinth soundtrack gives it's it a really run for good. its money. But with the exception maybe of the Labyrinth soundtrack, this is the best Muppet soundtrack, period. You're really going to really have to good. sell me that this is better than Muppet Treasure Island. You're really okay, going to have to sell it's me. It's different because none of the songs are original. Okay. It's a compilation of music from like the 70s. Okay. Um, so we got a little Guardians of the Galaxy vibe. Yeah, very much so. So, um, but in that regard, uh, it has a great soundtrack. Cool. So, all right, next up, Muppets in Space. And uh, one, two more weeks of Muppet Month, and then we'll be moving on to other things. Thanks for sticking in with us. I already know what we're doing as our other things afterwards. Okay, I don't, so I'm excited. Um, but thanks for sticking in with us, and... Uh, Hope you Stardust is coming. Oh, that's right. We talked about it. Stardust is my life. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited for Stardust. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I'm trying to think of like a good labyrinth sign off. Um, Forget about the baby. I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna say that to you from now on. Just randomly in the hall. You'll be like, like I'm it. having a really bad day. Oh, I'm so sorry. Forget, Forget about, about the baby. baby. Um <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for hopping in the trash can with us. Give this week's movie a watch and tell us what you think. And let us know what movies you think are trashy treasure. Maybe we'll give it a watch. Follow us on Twitter at Liv and Lizzie to tell us your thoughts. And remember, no matter how trashy you feel, You are deeply treasured. Bye!